Today we're wrapping up our series called Seven, where we've been looking at uh, Jesus' final words to seven churches, the seven churches of Revelation, and we've been just trying to learn some practical lessons from, from those churches, from what he had to say to them. Now, I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. I'm a, in the past, I have been a really big fan of the show Survivor. And there was a period in my, in my life uh, in the early 2000s where I probably watched way too much reality TV. In fact, that was really about the only thing that I watched. But, and, and it's not like it was even a guilty pleasure for me because I enjoyed most of it. I, I wasn't embarrassed about it at all. Except for one show. There was one show that I absolutely despise, and I still despise it to this day. It's still on, uh, so this will tell you how bad of a reality show it is, because bad reality shows are the ones that stay on the longest, it seems. And despite my best efforts, I, I, I found myself one time being sucked into one season of this one show that I can't stand. For several years, I'd been able to avoid the TV show The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. How many of you are fans of The Bachelor or Bachelorette. All right, we got like one person that's about raised their hand because she knows I'm getting ready to, to just, you know, say what a dumb show it is. And it is. It is a really dumb show. If you watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm just saying I think you watch a really dumb show. And it's difficult for me to watch shows like that um, because they make really poor choices on that show. They just make sh- they just make fools of themselves. And for the longest time when that show was on, wherever I was at, I was able to manage to either change the channel or walk out of the room and, and, and get away from it and not, not see it. But back in 2012, I got sucked into this particular season. And I don't know why, so don't judge me for this, okay? Like, I know some of you are like, really, he watched The Bachelor? Yeah, I did. Okay, so don't judge me for that. But it was, it was the 16th season of the show, and... The bachelor was a guy named Ben, and, and I'm going to kind of like try to justify it. I didn't see the show from the very beginning. It wasn't like I set out to watch it from the episode one. I just, I was at home or somewhere, maybe, I don't remember where, but, and it was on, and I just found myself drawn into the chaos that was on this show, and, and there was a couple of girls on the show that were competing who were really sweet girls. But like every good reality show needs, they need a villain. If, if you watch reality TV, you know that there is one person that's always kind of cast in that role for the, or on that show for the specific purpose of being the villain. And this season of The Bachelor had a perfect villain. This girl that was on there, she was psycho. And, and I say that with all the love and affection I could muster for her. She was crazy. And regardless of how nice and awesome all the other contestants on the show were, were this girl was who was just crazy and nasty, just kept getting picked. Like, what does this guy see in her? Like, why isn't he just eliminating her? But every week, week after week after week, he would pick her. In all of her one-on-one interviews, she would just say the craziest stuff. It didn't make sense, most of it. It was just kind of incoherent ramblings. She was so self-absorbed and manipulative. And I would just shake my head and think, this guy can't be that dumb. I mean, she really can't be. I mean, she was pretty, but she wasn't that pretty. I mean, not pretty enough to disregard all of that stuff. And, and I just kept thinking, this guy can't fall for this. This girl is the, the, the absolute mo- most fake, if that's a, I know that's not good grammar, but, but the most fake person on the show. But again, week after week, he would just keep picking her. Even when all the other girls would tell him, it's like, hey, she's not who you think, think she is, he would just... He would ignore that. In fact, he would often, when someone would complain about her, he would get rid of them 
and pick the other girl. And finally, we get to the, like the final episode, and this girl has made it to the final two. She has made it into the final two, and, and I'm just thinking there's no way this guy can pick this girl. She, she's crazy. The other girl in the final two was a girl named Lindsay, and she was a, a sweetheart, the polar opposite of this crazy Courtney. Courtney was her name, by the way. And, and I just remember watching it and even thinking, again, he can't be this dumb, right? The choice is obvious. The choice is, I, I remember talking to the TV. Anybody ever talk to the TV when you're watching it? All right, good. I'm not alone in that, so you don't judge me for that. I can remember talking to the TV and just saying, hey, don't do this. Don't do this. Like, this is a huge mistake. And of course, what does he do? He dismisses Lindsay, and he picks Crazy Courtney. That was a hashtag, I think, Crazy Courtney. And of course, once he sees all of the stuff that happens, in, so I don't know if you know this about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, but when they are picked, when they pick their, the winner, they're supposed to be separate. They're not supposed to have any contact with each other until the show ends after it's aired. So it's got to go through production, and then it's got to go through airing, and, and then they're you know at the reunion shows when they're supposed supposed to be reunited because you know they don't want to spoil the show for somebody you know they see them out in public together and so of course as the show is airing this guy sees all of the stuff that that she's been saying and it, and it just crumbles they didn't even make it together as a couple through the end of the airing of the show by the time the reunion show came about they were already separated but if you watched that show you could have seen this coming I mean the choice was obvious it makes me crazy when the choice is clear and plain and obvious and people go off in the other direction and they make a bad choice. I mean, I've made some boneheaded decisions in my life. Anybody else, just so I don't feel so bad about myself, anybody else ever made some really dumb decisions? Okay, most of us. If you're not holding your hand up, well, we'll talk about lying in another sermon. But, but I've made some really dumb decisions in my life. But most of those really boneheaded decisions have been when I was just kind of clueless to, to the facts and the information around me. I didn't have all of the information or the facts. Um, if I have all the facts and all the data and I still make a bad choice, then I have no excuse, right? You've got no excuse for that. And yet people do that all the time. They make poor choices and then they make excuses for their bad choices. And, and we try and justify them and get other people on board with them. So much so that this happens in our culture in fact, next week we're going to start a new series uh, that's going to go about four weeks. And it's based, it's, the whole topic is all of the poor excuses that we make and, and how those excuses hold us back from fulfilling our purpose. And so it's going to be a great series. It's going to be called Paper Walls. And so I hope that you'll join us for that series. But, but we make some really dumb decisions sometimes, don't we? And then we make excuses for it. You ever been there? You ever seen it? Done it? Perhaps seen someone or maybe be that someone who makes a bad choice? And then makes an excuse for it. Sometimes the choice is so obvious. It's so obvious that we just need the courage to make the right choice. Sometimes the, the, the right choice is, is easy. It, it's right in front of us. And all we got to do is have the courage to, to step through that open door and, ma and take the right, make the right choice. And I think that's what we're about to see in our last church here in the book of Revelation. The last of the seven churches, the church at Laodicea, uh, is, is one we're going to talk about today. And last week, if you'll remember, Jesus had only praise and only good things to say about the church in Philadelphia. He, he said only good things. He had no correction for them. Well, that's not the case here this week. In fact, it, this week it, with the Laodicean church, it's all correction and no praise. This is what Jesus says. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 3, 
Start at verse 15. He says, I know everything that you have done, and you are not cold or hot. I wish you were either either one or the other. But since you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. You claim to be rich and successful to have everything that you need, but you don't know how bad off you are. You are pitiful, you are poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says what we've heard him say before in this series. He says, I know everything that you've done. Moms and dads out there, grandmas and grandpas, you ever been uh, like just looking out the window and your kids are outside playing or maybe your grandkids are outside playing and you see them doing something that they're not supposed to be doing? Anybody ever see that? Like when, when they're little and they're just, maybe you've told them something to not do a thousand times and they don't think anybody's watching and so they're out there and they're, they're just uh, doing whatever they're not supposed to be doing. And then you step out of the door and you say, say something to them and they're like, hey, I didn't do that. Yeah, you did. I was watching you. I just busted you for that, right? And they still try and deny it. During basketball season, that's a, a really uh, popular, a reoccurring experience for me. I can be working a basketball game, and I'll tell a player, hey, quit pushing, quit pushing, quit pushing. And I'll tell them three or four times, hey, get out of the lane, get out of the lane, get out of the lane, get your hands off, whatever. And then I'll blow a whistle and call a foul. And every time it seemingly, they turn around with this incredulous look like, what, I didn't touch them. I'm like, yeah, you did. I told you three times to stop, right? And, and so... That's how it is with Jesus. He sees everything. Nothing escapes his attention. He has the best seat in the house. He has an unobstructed view. And so when he says, I know everything that you've done, he does. And here's the remarkable thing about that. And we said this last week. Not only does he know everything that we have done, but he still loves us in spite of that. And so accurately, he says to the Laodiceans, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. In other words, you won't commit to being one or the other. You won't choose which one you want to be. Uh, Laodicea was a kind of an inter- interesting city. It was geographically situated between two other cities, Heropolis and Colossae. You might know Colossae as the, as the, the biblical town where Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae called Colossians. And so in, in, in these two cities, though, Heropolis, it was known for its natural hot springs. Colossae, on the other side of Laodicea, was known for its pure cold springs springs and there were aqueducts that carried hot water from Heropolis and cold water from Colossae but by the time the water reached Laodicea it was lukewarm Jesus used the reality of their physical location and he paralleled it to their spiritual location Jesus says you are lukewarm so because you're lukewarm I'm going to spit you out now this is going to be too much information because some translations say I'm going to vomit you out which I think is a, uh, is a much more descriptive term than spit you out. And again, this is going to be way too much information for most of you. But I, I often have migraine headaches, and one of the things that happens as a result of migraine headaches is that I get sick to my stomach. And there's only one really way to cure that, and it's to vomit. And my wife and boys will both tell you that I'm the loudest vomiter that they have ever heard in their life. Everybody knows when I'm sick. Because it is a loud production. And I don't mean for it to be, it's just the way that it is. Again, I know that's too much information for you all. But when I read something like this where I read Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out, that's the image that comes to my mind. It's not a pretty picture. In fact, it's pretty gross. It's pretty disgusting. It's vile. And Jesus says that about this this church. He says, because you're not hot and because you're not cold, because you just kind of want to ride the fence, you want to choose the middle ground, you're lukewarm, and because of that, I'm going to vomit you out. I want nothing to do with you. And we think, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? 
especially when we think about the person of Jesus. We think of Jesus as this kind, cuddly, loves everybody, you know, has always got good things to say about everybody. So this sounds really harsh. But if you think about it, that's a natural reaction. If you're outside working and you're hot and sweaty, maybe you're, you're working on like a Monday or Tuesday of last week and it's a, 108 degrees and the heat index is, you know, the front porch of hell. I mean, you're outside working like that and you're, you go to get a bottle of water and you're expecting it to be cold and refreshing and you take a drink of it and it's lukewarm. What do you do with it? You spit it out, right? It's, it's, it's not good tasting. It's, it's a natural reaction. In fact, it's the gut level response. These believers in Laodicea, they were deceived, like, like the child who, who denies doing something when you watch them through the window, or the incredulous basketball player. They said, I'm rich, I've got everything I want, I don't need a thing. But Jesus says, you think that. He says, you think that, but you don't even realize, you don't comprehend, you don't understand how bad off you actually are. You can't see what's really going on in front of you. You don't have an accurate view of the situation. Jesus said, here's what you really are. You're You're pitiful. Meaning you're inadequate, you're heartbreaking to look at, you're pathetic, you're helpless. It's like the, the, the one commercial for the, the animal shelter that shows, you know, it's got the sad song behind it and it's got um, all these dogs that look like they've been malnourished for months. Jesus says, this is what you look like. You're pitiful looking. He says, you're poor, you're impoverished, you're needy, you're, you're lacking, you're blind, you can't see, you can't understand your surroundings. You can physically see, but you can't spiritually see. And you don't have the wherewithal, the self-awareness to see what's going on around you. He says you're naked, you're, you're exposed, you're vulnerable, you're defenseless. They thought they were awesome. They thought they had it all dialed in. And they didn't have any idea that they were way out of their depth. It would kind of be like me if, if I decided I'm just going to walk onto the field at Great American Ballpark and play for the Cincinnati Reds today. You know, I played baseball all growing up as a kid all through my high school years. I've got a pretty good knowledge of the game. I mean, I watch baseball, so obviously I could play with the pros, right? No, of course not. Maybe the Cincinnati Reds this year, but, but still, no, probably not. He says they were pitiful and poor and blind and naked and, oh, by the way, dead. Regardless of what I might tell myself, everyone watching would say if I were on the field at Great American Ballpark, this is a bad situation. This is a dead man walking. The church in Laodicea was the same. They were dead. They were a dead church walking because they were unwilling to make a decision, a real commitment to follow Jesus. They lied to themselves and they convinced themselves that they were fine and that everything was going great and the house was on fire and they were in real danger and they didn't know it. And Jesus says to them, Here's the deal. You need to make up your mind. He says in verses 19 and 20, make up your minds to turn away from your sins. Listen, I am standing and I am knocking at your door. In other words, what Jesus says, you got to make a choice. You got to make a decision. You got to stop being indifferent. You need to make a commitment. Jesus says, turn away from your sins. Other translations use the word that we've heard a lot in this series, repent. He says, you got to bring your thinking and your actions into alignment with God's word. And he finishes with this, this phrase. He says, I'm standing and knocking at your door. Do you, do you know what the implication of that is? The, the, the implication of I am standing and knocking at your door, it's this. is Jesus speaking, saying, I haven't given up on you. Even though I should, even though I should have given up on you because you don't have enough self-awareness to even realize the bad shape that you're in, I haven't given up on you. I am still pursuing you. So what's the lesson for us in this? What do we learn 
from all of this. Every week there's been a choice for us to, to make. So what's our choice? Simple. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. It's as simple as that. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus because He has already chosen us. When, when we're too blind to see our need, when we, when we couldn't uh, do anything for ourselves, He did for us what needed to be done. He did for us what only He could do. Romans 5, Paul says, when we were utterly helpless... When we were utterly helpless, when we couldn't do for ourselves, Christ came at just the right time and died for us. God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know what the implication of that verse is? Is that Jesus is saying, hey, I want you. Choose Jesus and be made new. Jesus is all about new beginnings. He's all about forgiving the past and giving us a clean slate. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Jesus gives us a new life and a new beginning. So why would you not choose Jesus? Choose Jesus and never be alone again. People struggle with loneliness in a world where we're connected more than we've ever been. When the world is smaller seemingly than it's ever been, people are more isolated than they've ever been. Choose Jesus and never be alone again. He said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. He takes care of his own. Choose Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're never going to struggle again. It doesn't mean that you'll never hurt again. It doesn't mean that that you'll um, have just a, an easy life. But it does mean that you'll never have to do any of these things alone again. Choose Jesus. This week at camp, our theme was enough. And the whole point of our week of camp was that we wanted our students to know, our high school students to know, and this is what I would want you to know as well, is that in Christ, you are enough. In Christ, you are enough. You, you, it doesn't matter what other labels uh, our culture and, and community want to give you. It doesn't matter what people want you to be. It doesn't matter that if people have these other expectations of you. In Christ, you are enough. And that's what we wanted our students to know more than anything else this week, is that they are enough, that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and in Christ, you are enough. But the real question that, that everybody has to answer is this. Is Jesus enough for you you are enough for him but is he enough for you 30 years ago i chose to follow jesus i uh, i grew up in the church i'm so thankful that i grew up in the church and i've made a lot of decisions that i would regret that were just boneheaded choices but the one that i've never regretted ever not even for a single single minute of my life is to follow Jesus, to choose Jesus. I've never regretted that one. And I would say that that's probably the case for many of you in this room that, or, or that are watching online, that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, that you've never regretted that decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean life has been easy. It doesn't mean that there haven't been hardships that you've had to endure. It doesn't mean that there haven't been trials and, and, and maybe some relationships that had to end because of that. It doesn't mean any of that. It just simply means this. I can tell you it's the best decision I've ever made. The best. There is no other decision like it or equal to it. And so here's what I would want you to know this morning. Is that I would want you to have that same experience. To choose Jesus. Because the reality is, is that we are enough in Christ. But the even greater reality is that Jesus is enough. If you'll choose to follow him.
If you will choose to follow Jesus, he will prove time and time and time again that he is enough. So this morning, I just want to, as we, as we close our time, I just want to let that sit with you for a moment. I, I want that thought of, of, is Jesus enough for me to, to just sit with you for a moment and, and for you to, to think about that and, 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 and make a decision. Is Jesus enough for me? And if he is and you've never committed to following Christ, you've never made a decision to follow Christ, would you make that decision today? Would you be willing to be baptized into Christ? The baptistry is ready. I turned the heater on earlier. It's, the water's pretty warm. It's not lukewarm. It's, it's warm. It's not cold, right? It's warm. Would you make a decision to follow Jesus? Because in Him, you are enough. Again, the question you have to answer is, is He enough for me? Let me pray for us.